0: Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's great to have you guys with us today and for those joining us online as well. um, One thing that we're doing, coming up, you'll hear more about this. We're starting a series after Easter called Stranger Things in the Bible. And yes, some of us may be Stranger Things fans from Netflix. If you don't know what that is, it doesn't matter for you, right? Um, But we also have these t-shirts, too, we're selling, themed t-shirts. And so you'll hear more about that coming up. I'm excited about the series post-Easter. But today I'm excited about the series that we're in If you're new with us we're in a series in the book of Romans and we love just like diving into the Bible, studying the Bible here at Thrive and so we've been in Romans now for several weeks and if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning, Romans chapter 12. Um, so recently I've been traveling a lot more doing uh, ministry as pastor Keith said, we work with church planters and help churches and we love doing that at Thrive and I'm able to travel a little bit now secret. Inside secret here, I don't like traveling. I don't like, I don't like airports. I don't like planes. I like getting to the destination. I just don't like traveling. And what I don't like is this. I enjoy vacations with my wife because she's amazing at booking them. And then I get to go travel along and I just ask her over and over again, so when's that leaving? When's this happening? And she's excellent. But I book all of my own flights, my own cars. I don't have a secretary. I do all that stuff. And I'm going to tell you, like for me— I find where the destination is at first, right, that matters most. Everybody agrees destination, you've got to get there. But then for me, it's like I want to find the quickest flight there with the least amount of layover time. I don't like long—I don't want two-hour labors. I want 45 minutes because I know that at Hartsfield, Atlanta, I can make it there if that plane's in in, in 45 minutes and still have time to stop and get a snack, right? And so I, I start and I plan all this stuff out. I'm looking to make the perfect trip. And then I have to book my car, and I have to book the place that I'm staying, all to get to the destination. I don't like doing that. It's not fun, right? I don't like traveling. Well, I said all that to say this. In life, there's always a destination we want to get to, some place, some some future thing. My wife and I and our son are leaving for a destination next week to go to Florida on vacation and have some time in the sun. This this boy here is very pale. Uh, and, And we love that part. But the most important part is not the destination, it's how you're gonna get there, because you gotta get there, right? The same thing is true about our spiritual lives as well. There's a destination that God has for us, there's an end in mind that God has for us, there's a place that God wants for us that we all know inside. And I wanna unlock that today and show you what God wants for you and how you can get there. And that's what Paul outlines in Romans 12. Now, as we've established already, and I say this every week because here's why. When you lead this series in Romans, I want you to be able to recite to somebody some of the major points of Romans. Like, number one, it is probably the most important book in the whole New Testament. Why is that? It's a miniature Bible. Like, it it is everything you need to know about Jesus and about the church and about— it's packed into—if you could read one book, read Romans. It's going to teach you everything about it. Not only that, but Romans has been the most important book to the movements in Christianity, such as the Reformation with Martin Luther. It was the the church, uh, the letter to the church at Rome that shaped his thinking. Calvin and Augustine and John Wesley. Go through the church fathers of any denomination, of all denominations of Christianity. You're going to find Romans at the center point of that. And why is that? Paul wrote this letter in in the mid-first century, and he was on his third and final missionary journey. As we've said before, Paul wanted desperately to visit Rome. It was the capital city of the empire. And and in that day and time, cities were the key to reaching the world because of trade routes. And people would come through the major cities. uh, They would spend some time there uh, selling, buying, and go somewhere else. That was a perfect time to share the gospel. And then they go to where they're at. And guess what? They go share the gospel. It was very transient in that day and time. Paul wanted to get to Rome. He was also a Roman citizen, even being a Jew. But for 20 years, Paul never made it. He planned, he wanted. If you read the the book of Acts, there was times that God prevented him from going. There's times that Satan prevented him from going. And there's times that life just happened to him. So sitting in Corinth, Paul figures this is the time to write this letter. And I'm wondering if Paul's thinking, I may never make it to Rome. I may never get there. We know that later on in life, he does before he dies. He's on house arrest there and spends time. He writes this letter. And Romans is so powerful because of this. It's one of his final letters he writes, and it's 20 years of experience in this letter. 20 years of daily giving his life for the church, traveling, doing ministry, being hurt, being persecuted. If you read Galatians, uh, like, that's one of the first letters he wrote. So that's like a, like a little miniature Romans. They have a lot of similarities. If you read that and then you read Romans, it's like, man, Paul just, there's so much more that he wanted to say, and he did say in the letter to the church at Rome. And, and so, so far what he's done in every one of Paul's letters, he has this progression where, number one, he starts with, he wants to talk to them about their beliefs. If you read any of Paul's letters, he never leads with their behaviors, He never says, stop doing this and start doing that. He always starts with their beliefs. And that's what he does in Romans. so you look in the first 11 chapters, he's dissecting this whole idea of justification by faith alone. That you're saved by grace through faith, not of works at all. You can bring nothing to the table to save you a uh, matter of fact, the other day I, I was in the locker room, which is always a weird place to talk to, to men, right? Uh, men don't talk in the bathroom. Much. This guy was talking to me in the locker room. I said, well, might as well talk back. And he, you know, he, so he said to me, he said, well, you know, how's everything going in life? I was like, life's okay. God's good. He's like, well, God's good to you because you've been good to him. I said, nah, uh-uh. That's not how it works, bro. I didn't say it like that. But I was like, ah, no, I've, I've really not been, I've not been good to him at all. I was like, you know, I— man, I'm, I'm just a wretched sinner, dude. Like that's, he's like, oh, well, you know, I said, I said the only reason is because of, of Jesus, um, you know, that, uh, because of his goodness. He says, well, you, you know, you, you're going to pay it forward and make it up to God. And you can tell he was trying to say the right thing, but in his mind was a works-based righteousness because the world's all trying to, to get God's approval and trying to be acceptable to God by their fig leaves. What did Adam and Eve do? They covered themselves up with fig leaves. They made their own coverings. And that's what he was doing. I know you'll pay it forward to God. I said, I can never pay it forward to him. All I can do is be thankful with the life that I have. He said, well, I, I, and you you could tell he's, but I mean, and we had a really good kind of weird conversation in the locker room with with towels on uh, with that. But I planted the seeds of the gospel. And so Paul, and the reason I say that is, Even in that culture and through all cultures, religion is man reaching up to God. Man being accepted to God by his works and how good he can be and what he can do. And Christianity is God reaching down to man when man could never do it. So Paul spends 11 chapters outlining this for the church at Rome, sharing with them the belief system. Because if you never change your beliefs, you'll never change your behaviors. What you believe about something determines how you will treat something. Right. If, if, if you didn't believe, just think about this. Imagine being raised where you, did, you were taught that pure gold and pure diamonds were worth nothing. Just think about it. Imagine your parents every day, you had them all in your house, and they're like, oh yeah, they're worth nothing. You would grow up looking at diamond stores thinking, why would people buy that junk? <laughs> think about it, right? You would look at gold thinking, gold, why would people wear gold rings? I mean, your whole life, your belief system has told you to devalue that. Only until you change what you believe about something can you change your behavior towards something. And so what Paul does for 11 chapters now is he outlines their belief system. And now in Romans chapter 12, and then uh, next week we'll we'll look more uh, deeper into it about their behaviors toward each other. He starts looking at their behaviors. Now what should you do since you believe this? Since you know that you can bring nothing to the table for salvation— Your works can't save you. It's only by the finished work of Jesus. Since that's all been established and you're all nodding, going, yeah, I got it. Then now, Paul says, what should you do? And so in Romans 12, we'll be there today. That's what we're going to look into. And what I want to outline for you in Romans 12, there's four actions that Paul calls the, the disciples to, the people there in Rome, to live with. And they're what I call ships, four ships. They're compound words. And if you have your big idea or your notes handed here today, here's today's big idea to write down, is that you will need to take four ships to arrive at God's will for your life. Four ships. Remember I opened up how I had to book this plane and that plane and this plane to get to the destination? You and I, if you're going to get to God's will for your life, there are four ships that Paul outlines, four compound words that, that I want to break down for you today. And before I jump into that, though, what is God's will for your life? That's the number one question. What does God want from me? What God wants from us was was established in Romans chapter 8 to be conformed to the image of His Son. What is God's will for me? No matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, is to be conformed to the image of His Son. Why? So the world can see Jesus in us. We don't need to shout to the world about Jesus. We need to show the world Jesus. Jesus. And you can't show the world Jesus unless your behaviors act like that, right? The fruit of the Spirit. That your, behaviors have, I mean, your beliefs have been changed, now your behaviors have changed. So what is God's will for my life, guys? It's not what I do. I'm not a human doing, I'm a human being. It's me being transformed into the image of His Son. It's me, no matter where I'm at or what I'm doing, reflecting Jesus to a world that desperately needs Jesus. And Paul knew this. It wasn't about where Paul was at. It was about what God was doing in Paul. Because Paul would find himself in a prison for preaching the gospel. And guess what he would do? Reflect Jesus to him. Paul would find himself surrounded by philosophers in the Greek world there at Mars Hill. And he would find himself teaching them in their own philosophical language and from their own philosophical ideas about Jesus. He would find himself in Ephesus with sorcerers and witchcraft. And guess what he'll do? Reflect Jesus to that culture and see him change. So when you look at what is God's will for my life, we often think, what should I do? That's not, that's not the right question. That's not the right destination. The destination is, is that we are continually being transformed and conformed to the image of his dear son and in his likeness from Romans chapter 8. And that's God's will. So if you're going to get to that destination in your life, if you're going to get to that place where you continually are being transformed, there are four ships that you got to take to get there. And Paul outlines that. Four compound words that we're going to look at today. And in Romans 12, he shows that to us. And so Romans 12, 1, you can look. And the first ship we've got to look at is what I call the discipleship. The discipleship. That's the first ship. And he says this. Remember, I told you that now he looks at their behaviors in Romans 12.1. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. He's begging them to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Now starts the behavior stuff. Give your bodies to him, he's telling them. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Worship is not what we do for 20 minutes with singing. Worship is what you do 24-7 with the way that you reflect Jesus through the world around you, with your body, with your whole life. He's showing them holistic discipleship. It's like the, uh, the kid that was at Sunday school class one day. And the teacher brings him out and brings him to his parent. And this is in a very rural southern town. And he brings him to his dad and he says, Little Billy was dipping in Sunday school class. Had, had a, what a dip in his mouth, and his dad reaches in there and pulls that dip out, which is so gross. He says, "Little Billy, I told you we don't ever do that at church." <laughs> but that's the mindset, right? Like, like church is sacred; everything else is secular. Where Paul is saying, everything is sacred. Our lives are sacred. Our response to God is sacred. So he says this. He shows them the way to do this. And he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't look at the way the world handles things, the way they respond. Don't look at Twitter for the way you used to respond to people. Right? That's the social media, media engine of outrage. <laughs> don't copy their behavior or the customs. But let God transform you into a new person by changing what? The way you think changing your thinking first. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. The reason people usually never get to God's will and purposes or never conformed and transformed to the image of His Son, they never change the way they think. This word transform here is super important because it's the same word that's used whenever Jesus was on the mountain. Remember with Peter, James, and John, he takes them up to to the mountain. He leaves the rest at the bottom of the mountain. They're down there, and they're, like, looking up, seeing what's happening. And then everything gets really bright. He's transfigured. Like, my grandmother had a picture of Jesus transfigured in her house. I remember growing up looking at that. And, you know, he's glowing. And then you have, like, Moses shows up and Elijah. And Peter and James and John are blown away, man. They're just like, whoa. And Peter's like, hey, can we build some, like, some tabernacles here and just, like, live here on this mountain? This is the most amazing experience ever. Because they see Jesus in his full glory. He's transfigured. He's transformed before him to the point they didn't recognize. He was there, it blew them away. That word is used also, the only other time Paul uses it is in his letter to the first to the Corinthians, the first letter there, and he uses it as he says, you're transformed into the image of Christ. Transformed. That word there means a complete metamorphosis, a complete just recomposition of, of who you are. Paul says that he wants you to be unrecognizable to the world around you by what, you're, by what you're doing in your life, by being transformed by the way you think. And a discipleship, here's what the discipleship is. As a believer, if 10 years from now you still see the world the way you see it today, then you've not taken the discipleship. If you still believe the same thing about everything, Augustine, think about Augustine, one of the great church fathers, refuted his earlier letters as a young man when he got older. He, like, wrote and said, oh, no, I was an idiot. Why did I ever see things that way? And, And what discipleship is, it's a continual deconstructing of what you've copied and pasted from the world, from your parents, from culture, from politics, from media. And then it's deconstructing that through Scripture, and then God reconstructing it with the way He wants you to think about things. See, Jesus did this with the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus shows up and he tells his fellow Jews, he says, I know that we've been taught. I know the Torah says, this is in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I know you've been taught this way, but now I say to you, right? Like he's saying, like, like you know, you, you should hate your enemies, but now I say to you, you should bless them. I know that you've heard it this way, but that's what discipleship is. I know you think this way about this. I know you feel this way about this. But God wants to deconstruct it to rebuild it. Why? So he can—that's trans what transformation is. Whereas you're transformed, people won't recognize who you are because of the way you respond to things. They'll say, man, something's changed about you. You're different than you used to be. That's what the discipleship is. Discipleship is not sitting around just learning the Bible. Is learning the Bible good? Yes. But my fear is most of us are inoculated to transformation. You're immunized from transformation because of your knowledge of Scripture. Some of the people who see the least transformation as they get older are those who grew up in church. They know it. They've never been transformed by it. That's what discipleship is. It's not knowing it. It's it's not even saying, yeah, I know Jesus. Is Jesus transforming you. That's what the discipleship is. That's the first ship. The second ship that Paul shows them is what I call the membership. It's not membership of a church. Don't get worried. I'm not taking a membership role here. But it's the membership. And what he's going to show them in verses 3 through 8, he's going to show them something called giftedness. But in this, he shows them what it means to be members of the body of Christ. When you are redeemed, you're redeemed becoming part of a body. Meaning that now you're a body. You're part of that. You're not just an individual coming to church. You're now part of a bigger body. Look what he says here. He says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Now, this is one of the only times Paul says it this way in all of his letters, which means it's serious. When he pulls on his privilege and authority, he says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. He wants to say this you better remain humble. Remain humble. And here's why. He goes into next, the gift in this, just as our, or dependability, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. And in verse 6, he says this, in His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Do you know that God's gifted you? So many people are sitting on the sidelines at church because you, you don't believe what God thinks about you, that God has gifted you, that God has given you something you can do well. He shows them, first of all, to be humble. The next thing he shows is this, as in a body, in the body of Christ, you got to be dependent upon each other. You can't be a long-ranger Christian. I'm dependent upon you. You're dependent upon me. And so he says this, he says, uh, So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, which means speaking the word in boldness, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, Take the responsibility seriously. And I love this. And if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. I didn't get that gift. I'm not kind. <laughs> some Somebody just got it, right? Some of y'all got it. I ain't got it. That's why I need you. But what Paul outlines here as the body is super important. He said, number one, you better be humble. And here's why. We think gifts are talents in the church. Whenever you say to someone, oh, you got a gift to do this, you're saying, I admire your talent. That's the way the world thinks. I don't have a talent for speaking. God gave me a gift. Why do I know that? Number one, guys, before I got saved, I had a really bad stuttering problem. Really bad. To the fact I was scared to speak in public. I avoided all public speaking classes because I was petrified of being in front of people. Petrified. Petrified. Because of my stuttering problem. Couldn't say hows and whys and what's. It was really hard to do. Um, Even after I got saved as a student ministries pastor, students will make fun of everything about you, right? Andrew and Elizabeth, who do students, they don't care. They'll laugh at anything about you, right? I think everybody needs to do student ministry at some point. They'll laugh at your bald head, and they'll laugh at your stutter. They'll go, whoa, 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 whoa. And they would do that to me, even after I got saved. Guys, what I have is not a talent. What I do is not a talent. It's gift. What is gift? It means I did nothing to earn it. Nothing to earn it. I've not been so good to God. I just didn't work so hard to get it. God, and so what he's showing here to be humble is stop looking at what you do as talents and start looking at what you do as gifts. Because number one, you're you're just, you're you're humble. Humility is created, almost a, a humiliation saying, God, I don't deserve it. And I couldn't have earned it. The second thing he shows about the body is being dependent upon one another. Do you understand that you are dependent upon other believers if you're going to get to God's will for your life, that destination? You have to have relationship. You have to have people that you do life together with. And can I tell you this? In the church and in the body of Christ— I need your gift of encouragement, and I need your gift of showing mercy and of t- your teaching and your, just as much as you need my gift. We're all dependent upon each other's giftedness. Does that make sense? Every one of us are. And you think you have nothing to offer. You think you have nothing to give. Friends, there are people who need you. Who, God has placed something inside of you. And so he shows them with that, you've got to be humble and you've got to be dependent upon each other. That God has gifted you that way as the body of Christ that we all need each other. And then he takes it a step further, not just needing each other, with the membership, because you're now members of the body of Christ. Your decision for Jesus may be personal, it's not private. And the third ship he gives them is the fellowship, the fellowship. Here's the youth pastor way of saying it. You know what fellowship is? It's two fellows in a ship. (laughs) It's relationship, right? It's relationship. So he goes a step further. He kind of gives you a 30,000-foot view of, of spiritual gifts. That's, I mean, all he's doing there in that passage is not trying to give you an outline of gifts. He's giving you this. Whatever God has given you, work it. It's God's given, hey, if you've got it, flown it. Work it. Work it, right? Whatever that gift is, it could be as easy as, and, and, and as, as what you feel as small as being kind or as big as saying leadership ability. Whatever it is, it's all needed. But then he goes into how this works with each other. And what this should look like with fellowship. So he shows them with the third ship, he says in verse 9, don't just pretend to love each other. He follows up with that. Don't just pretend. Don't be pretentious in the body of Christ, but really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. That means all of your heart. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them and always be eager to practice hospitality. What he wants to do with the fellowship is show them one thing here. Go beyond superficial relationships in your life. Show genuine affection for each other. Have genuine relationships in the body of Christ. That's why one of our values at Thrive is called MEALS, M-E-A-L-S. And we want you to be in relationship with people. We want you serving with other believers. We want you in small groups with other believers because that is what will change your life is relationship. Every time I've kind of been taken to the next level— it's never because I went to a seminar. It's never because I just read a book. It's because I found a relationship. And that relationship began to change my life. And any time that you're going to want to see yourself go to the next level, it's because of key relationships in your life. And if you don't believe that, you won't behave that, Right? If you don't believe it's because of relationships, you'll never go network and try to find people and pray for divine connections and pray for those relationships. If you don't believe it, you won't behave it. And if you want to go beyond where you're at, if you want to be conformed to the image of His Son, find somebody in your life who can speak into your life. Find somebody that you can can share and be transparent with. Find someone you can bounce ideas off of. You can talk about the intimate struggles of your life. And when you do that, when you have that fellowship, you'll then begin to see yourself transformed into the image of His Son. And the final ship of the four ships is hardship. Now, hardship here, you may think, okay, it's, it's trials. This is not hardship with circumstances. This is hardships with hard people. There are people that are just difficult in life. God never tells you to dismiss them. He never tells you to get away from them. He never tells you to repay them evil for evil. But in hardship, Paul, and what he's going to do here in verse 14, is he starts quoting some of the Sermon on the Mount, which is very important. I want you to pay attention to this. He's quoting Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, what's unique is Mark's letter we don't think has been released yet. Okay, Mark's gospel was the first gospel, right? At this point, Mark's gospel has not been released, where you see a lot of Jesus' teaching. Matthew's definitely, which has the most extensive teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. So what does that mean? It meant that Peter and James and John and and, and Andrew, all these disciples that were with Jesus, because it was oral tradition, were teaching this over and over, word for word, to the fact, to the point that Paul began to get it into his DNA. Because now he's reciting this stuff as well. That's how influential the Sermon on the Mount was to the early church about their responses to people, especially difficult people and people who would hurt them. And he says this in Romans uh, 12, 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. Sounds like Jesus is teaching there. Don't curse them. Pray God will bless them. That is the hardest thing that you'll ever do in your life. The next time somebody comes to your mind that you hate so I know you, so I don't hate anybody. Yeah, yeah, you do. You do. You struggle. You do. It's okay. Pray God blesses them. I have one person that comes to my mind, and you know who you are in here. No, I'm kidding, I'm, you <laughs> I'm kidding. But there, there's this one person that comes to my mind, and and I really I, I dislike them. I, I think they're sheep in wolf's clothing. They 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 did me really wrong. You don't know them. You'll never know them. They didn't come to this church. Not even a church person. Well, uh, they they uh, they consult churches, and the guy's a kind of a sleazebag. Stole money from us, and I, I take what we do with this church very seriously, financially, very seriously. And I get angry when I think about this guy, and I have to pray that God will bless him. I have to pray that God ble- God please bless him. Bless him so much, Lord. He goes broke, and no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but but, but it, that, that's hard. That's hard. Everybody sees his little face on social media. I'm like, oh, bless him. <laughs> Southern way. Bless his heart. <laughs> <laughs> and then Paul goes on to say this. He says, "Be happy with those who are happy, and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Harmony." Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more, more evil. And I love this. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Kevin, you don't know what, how, what they've done to me. I don't. But Paul says, show the world that you're the better person. Show the world that you can take the higher ground. Why? Because your beliefs need to be transformed, so your behaviors are transformed. Why? Because when you're conformed to the image of his son, verses 14 14 through 20 are what being conformed to the image of his son looks like. It's hard. It's getting to the place where people who've hurt you, you bless them, you take the high road, people look at you and they say, man, he's doing the honorable thing, even when he's dishonored. He says, do all that you can, all that you can, To live at peace with everyone. We don't do that, do we? Usually, the moment somebody offends us or hurts us, we just cut them off. Nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. And Paul says, that's not being conformed to the image of his son. Do all you can to live at peace with everyone. Let me say this. I say this all the time. Living at peace doesn't mean you need to live in partnership with them. There are some people you can live at peace with, and you can pray that God will bless them and keep arms distance. Because you know that sometimes a tiger don't change their stripes, Right? Amen. Somebody said yes. Dear friends, never take revenge. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, and again, he is going, this is straight from Proverbs and straight from the Sermon on the Mount. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, Give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. When somebody does something really evil to you, when somebody does something really evil to you and bad to you, and you do something good to them, and you bless them, it, there's no, you couldn't hurt them to get a better response than when you bless them. And God is calling some of you to do that this week. There's somebody at your job that's a snake, and you're gonna buy them a cupcake and live it on their desk with a card saying, I'm grateful for you. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Don't copy the customs and behaviors of this world, don't take revenge, but bless those who persecute you. Pray for them, do something good for them. Do you see how upside down this is from our culture? This is what the gospel looks like lived out. It is absolutely insane to those who don't know Jesus. Amen. But to those who know Jesus, to those who know Jesus, it makes total sense because you reflect in Him. And finally, He says this, Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by being more evil. All right? No, 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 seriously. By being meaner to them than they are to you. By doing good. I want to leave you with this action step this morning, guys. Don't let the enemy throw you overboard with any one of these ships. This ship matters. See, <laughs> I so got that. This is an important ship. <laughs> and all lying I don't know how that translates. But the discipleship matters. Let God transform you by changing the way that you think from the inside out. Understand that you're the membership is that you're part of a bigger body, that God has gifted you. You're not talented. You're gifted. So you can bless others, and they can bless you. You can't do this thing alone. You have something to offer. you got to take the fellowship. It's the third leg of that journey. Where you have genuine relationship with other people, where you're open, you're vulnerable, you're transparent with them that you're doing life together with them. It's two fellows in a ship. You'll never be able to unthink that now. You'll never be able to unsee it. I'm sorry. That's what youth pastor jokes do to you. And finally, it's the hardship. The hardship. Well, then now you're going to reflect Christ to those who have dishonored you, those who have hurt you, those who have tried to break you. You're going to bless them. You're going to pray for them. You're going to to feed them if they're hungry. You're going to give them water to drink. Why would you do that? Because that's what that transformed life looks like. I I know the world has taught you to respond a certain way, but Jesus says, now I've come to tell you in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Friends, my prayer for you is this. I just don't want to do church here at Thrive. I just don't want to preach, you know, cute sermons. I want to see you transformed I want to see you dig it into the word of God In a prayer And I want you to get to that place Where that metamorphosis happens That over time you're unrecognizable How's that? Because you start responding differently To those who have hurt you To those who have tried to break you in life That's what I want for you I want every one of you To reflect Jesus to a world That desperately needs The gospel That's my prayer for you and one thing I do know, this doesn't happen because you try harder. You, it happens because we'll let the Holy Spirit do it in us. If you will, let's pray together this morning. Amen. Let's pray. I just want to pray and ask God to help us. Father, we, we need your help. Lord, what is written in Romans 12, 14 through 21 are some of the toughest verses in the whole Bible. And so, God, we need your help to be able to do this. We need your help to be able to reflect Christ to a world that doesn't even deserve it, to reflect goodness and to be good to those who've been bad to us. Father, I just pray that in every environment that each one of these people are in, the job, their home, their schools, their their neighborhoods, their friendships, their their frenemies, (laughs) that God, you would help us to live out Romans 12, 14 through 21. That is what true maturity is. And we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to do it in us. So we just ask this morning, Spirit of God, transform the way we think. Help us, God, to do that, Lord. We can't do it on our own. We need you. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, if you want to experience this metamorphosis and this change, it starts with salvation. And in this mode of prayer, maybe you want to give your life to Christ or maybe you want to come back to faith in Christ. Maybe you walked away from a bad version of Christianity. No matter who you are, no matter what happened to you, God's arms are open wide this morning saying, come to me and I will save you. And if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith, whether you're online or in here physically, you can pray this today and become a follower of Jesus. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe that Jesus is Lord, and I admit I need Him. I believe that He died on the cross, and I believe that He rose again on the third day, and today I give my life to Him. I repent I turn from my old life. I receive full forgiveness of sins. Thank you for forgiving me, God. Thank you. Now, Lord, help me to live for you. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Amen.